are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Blue Friday to all of our listeners. Glad to have you tuning in. It's Super Bowl weekend. I'll be sharing some thoughts and of course a prediction on who's going to be leaving SoFi Stadium with the Lombardi Trophy on Sunday. Answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. And of course, there's some big coaching news in the Pacific Northwest as well. I'll be breaking down those reports here momentarily. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. This episode is brought your way by Get Upside. Make sure to download the free Get Upside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The coaching carousel is spinning wildly in Seattle. Finally, maybe just maybe a little bit of clarity on Pete Carroll's coaching staff for the 2022 season. And of course, another curveball being thrown into the mix as well. Per reports, former Bears defensive coordinator Sean Desai will be joining Pete Carroll's staff as an associate head coach. Now, that is a title that is a little different with each team, and it varies. Not necessarily sure what the responsibilities are going to be at this point, but I can tell you all along, since Ken Norton Jr. last month was dismissed from the defensive coordinator position, that Sean Desai was a coach that Pete Carroll has been in full court press trying to recruit. This has been like him at USC with a five-star recruit. And even though he was not named their defensive coordinator, clearly this is a guy that he wanted. He knew there was a chance he would get another defensive coordinator job with another team. He interviewed with the Giants. He interviewed with the Vikings and the Raiders didn't get any of those three jobs. And so with there really being no other defensive coordinator positions open, the Saints are expected to promote Chris Richard to that spot, and the Texans simply aren't hiring one. Lovey Smith is going to be calling all the plays on defense in Houston. The job simply dried up, and so for Desai, this was an ideal situation to team back up with Clint Hurt, who was hired as the defensive coordinator, succeeding Ken Norton Jr. Those two coached together in Chicago, and some of you may be listening and wondering, why was Pete Carroll so excited about the possibility of adding Desai to his staff? You look at the positions he's had in the NFL. He withstood three coaching changes in Chicago. And yes, Matt Eberflus, this time around, the fourth head coaching change, Eberflus did not keep Desai. But the first three times, Desai was a holdover that was retained by the new coach. That by itself speaks volumes. And this is a guy that every position he's had when he was a defensive quality coach for Chicago for a number of years. The Bears had a bunch of really good defenses with Vic Fangio as the coordinator. And, of course, Desai was on that staff. And then he was elevated to safeties coach. Oh, and by the way, Eddie Jackson becomes an all-pro safety. And as a defensive coordinator last year, I think maybe the most impressive thing that he has on his resume, yes, the Bears were in the bottom third of the NFL in points allowed, but not all that was because their defense was bad. It was because the offense was so putrid. It put the defense in a lot of bad spots. If you dig deeper and look at other numbers that are really important, this was actually a pretty respectable Bears defense. They were in the top five in the NFL in sacks, pressure percentage, and passing defense. Three very important metrics in today's pass-happy NFL. They were sixth in total yardage allowed per game. 
So Sean Desai had a pretty solid defense. And oh, by the way, they did not have Khalil Mack for 10 games last year. They were without their top defensive tackle, Akeem Hicks, for eight games. So 18 combined games where two of their best players on defense were out, and yet they still were in the top five in sacks and pressure percentage. I think that's probably the first thing that jumped out to Pete Carroll because what the narrative has been, and the people I've talked to, this is 100% correct, Pete Carroll was not happy with where the pass rush was at last year, and they didn't create enough turnovers. They ranked 25th in the NFL. So he wanted to bring in some defensive minds, whether it was internally or from the outside, that were going to be able to generate a better pass rush and were going to be more aggressive and a more attacking defense. You were going to get that with Sean Desai. With the people they were missing on that Bears defense, for them to still have the productivity as a team that they did, and they weren't the most blitz-happy team. They ranked 19th in the NFL in blitz percentage. But Desai seemed to know when to bring that extra pressure, and having Robert Quinn certainly helped too. Quinn had two sacks during the 2020 season. He had 18 this year, benefited tremendously from Desai's play calling, mixing in stunts and games up front to go with their blitzes. So I think when you look at those stats and the fact that the Bears ran a lot of two deep safety looks, that was something the Seahawks were doing more of as the year progressed, even under Ken Norton Jr. I think that that's the future of the Seahawks defense. Not that they're going to go completely away from the cover three that's worked so well for Carroll over the years and has been a staple, but I think you're going to see more cover four, cover six, with Carl Scott coming in as the defensive backs coach with his background from Alabama under Nick Saban. You're going to see mixed match coverages like cover seven that are going to be quarter, quarter, half coverage. And we'll have more opportunity to dive into some of those specifics as we get deeper into the offseason. But having these defensive minds like Desai and Scott come in, teaming up with Clint Hurt, whose priority, who his strength is coaching defensive line. He's coaching linebackers in the NFL as well. You are getting a trio of coaches together that should complement one, one another really well. And they're all under the age of 43, too. So you've got young minds. You've got Clint Hurt, who has built cred in Seattle. He is beloved in the building by players and staff alike. This is a position that he earned the opportunity for, to be elevated to defensive coordinator. But he's never had that position before. Sean Desai has been a coordinator in the NFL. Even if it was just one year, he has done it. And so having him there a younger coach that has an educational background. You know he's going to be able to teach, and he's certainly a player that everywhere he's been, in Chicago, all the players that have played for him, vouch for him. He's a very popular coach. So you're going to be able to check off a number of boxes here. And, of course, there will be questions about whether or not you have too many cooks in the kitchen, but this is a coaching staff that had Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, Chris Richard, Pete Carroll, all on the same coaching staff at one point. I expect that with the different backgrounds these coaches have and also the fact that Desai and Clint Hurt have coached together before, there's going to be familiarity there. I don't expect that to be an issue. So to me, these are home run hires, assuming they become official. For now, with what happened with Ed Donatel, fans should maybe just be holding their breath or crossing their fingers that nothing crazy happens and another team swoops in with a better opportunity. But once the Seahawks announce that these moves are official – they should be pretty excited in the Pacific Northwest about the coaches they were able to bring in. And I think this is a coach in decide that Pete Carroll probably didn't think he was going to get and not getting a defensive coordinator job anywhere else coming to Seattle. Now uh, that's a big addition 
to this coaching staff. And so a great opportunity for him, a great opportunity for the Seahawks to take the next step forward with a rising young coach that I think is going to be a head coach in this league at some point. One other big move today from a coaching standpoint for the Seahawks, and a lot of people were surprised by this. This was actually a curveball, though, that I've been sitting kind of waiting on, and it never happened. So I thought at this point that you know, maybe they'll hang on to him. But the Seahawks decided to part ways with their offensive line coach, Mike Solari, who had been the replacement for Tom Cable, had been with the team for the last four years. Pete Carroll had this statement released today on the Seahawks social media. Mike and I agreed that parting was right for our continued offensive transition. Mike is a fantastic coach and a great person, and I am forever grateful for his service to the Seahawks. Again, I don't view this necessarily as a surprising move because when they hired Andy Dickerson, who is expected to be the new offensive line coach, they hired him as the run game coordinator last year, along with Shane Waldron coming in as the new offensive coordinator. It seemed like those two were going to be the ones that were going to be the main coaches on offense moving forward. And Mike Solari just has a little different philosophy, more into the man and gap running game, likes bigger bodied interior linemen. Andy Dickerson subscribes more to that wide zone and the split zone concepts, maybe a little lighter on their feet, offensive linemen. So you just had a little bit different philosophies there and they were able to make it work last season and from what I've been told, there was no animosity between the two. But as Carol made in a statement, this just looked like something the writing was on the wall for. They managed to hang on to Solari for an extra season. You look at the numbers. I think this is probably the biggest reason that the Seahawks are deciding to move on from Solari. The offensive line from a pass protection standpoint has still been very hit and miss. And it depends which outlet you're looking at. For example, ESPN pass rush win rate. They have finished third in 2018 in that category, ninth in 2020, 15th last year. The only year they performed poorly with that metric was 2019, where they finished 28th. So they've been a top 10 pass blocking team, according to that metric, two of the four years that Solari's been here. But then you have pro football focus. They grade things a little bit differently. They have not been near as favorable to Mike Solari and his offensive line. They've been 30th and 25th in their rankings in the other two years, 2018 and 2020, they were 18th and 19th. So they've never finished better than 18th in pass blocking grade for pro football focus. Everybody remembers Russell Wilson's comments last offseason complaining about getting hit too much. So I think that this ultimately was a situation where the Seahawks decided from a schematic standpoint and looking at the way the offensive line has performed in recent seasons, Pass protection hasn't been where they want it to be. They decided that now was the time to move forward with Andy Dickerson, see if he can get better results from this group in pass protection, the way the run game was humming late in the year. Dickerson was giving a lot of credit for that from players like Ethan Posick. And so we'll see what happens. We'll see how personnel shakes up there. But this is a move that while some people are surprised, I'm not my co-host Rob Rang and I will have more opportunities early next week to dive into these couple of coaching changes and look at some data, more graphs, looking at different coverages and pass protection, run blocking grades, you name it. We'll have more opportunities to dive deeper as we progress into the offseason, especially once these moves become official. When I come back next quarter, going to be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. Looking forward to it. 
Hey, 12s, check out the incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. It's automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's absolutely no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash it out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app today and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs with the big game coming up on Sunday. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making our podcast your first listen five days a week. It's officially Super Bowl week. The big game's coming up on Sunday. If you haven't already checked out the great coverage from the Locked On NFL team, make sure to download courtesy of Get Upside on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts on. Again, that's the Locked On NFL Podcast Network. They have been covering the Super Bowl all week. Tons of great content, great interviews from players, former players, celebrities, tons of great stuff heading into the game on Sunday night at SoFi Stadium. It's time for our weekly mailbag segment. Tons of questions from you, the 12s, with all that's going on this weekend with the Super Bowl and stuff, didn't have time to answer all of them, but we'll try to get to as many as I can here in this second quarter. First question coming from Jaden Myers tweets, knowing Pete Carroll has only a few years left in his contract, could you see somebody like Sean Desai shift into the head coaching role at some point? So I've never been a huge fan. This is a good question, Jaden, by the way. I've never been a huge fan in the idea of head coach and waiting. And most of the time, that does not work out for one reason or another. Most of the time you see that coach ends up getting an opportunity before the current head coach is ready to retire or depart, gets an opportunity somewhere else, and, and they take that opportunity. That could easily happen if Sean Desai has a really good year as an associate head coach in Seattle. They get back to the playoffs, make some noise, the defense improves. He's a young guy. He's 38 years old. There could be teams lining up with head coaching interviews for him next season. So, no, I don't necessarily see him as a head coach in waiting. Now, the Seahawks might be considering that. And if Pete Carroll does not have a good season, they don't have that bounce back year, you know, maybe the defense is playing okay, but the offense isn't where it needs to be and they're struggling to finish off games, the Seahawks might decide, you know what, it's time for us to move on. Pete Carroll's been a great coach. He's been a Hall of Fame coach, but it's time for us to move on. Maybe then they could consider – Sean Desai is an interim. I don't think they would do any midseason firings with Pete Carroll with his track record, what he's done in Seattle. But certainly after the season, they could decide to part ways with him. Sean Desai could potentially coach his way into that opportunity, at least be interviewed next year. So it's possible. I'm definitely not going to go the head coach and waiting route, though. I don't think that's what Pete Carroll and the Seahawks have in mind necessarily. 
they like the football coach they're bringing in and the new wrinkles and ideas that he can bring potentially to help this defense get back into being one of the NFL's elite. Lillibrand tweets, with Mike Solari gone as offensive line coach, could you see a change in bringing in free agents to fit Shane Waldron's offense? I kind of mentioned this a little bit at the end of the first segment. I don't know what to expect in this regard because last year with Mike Solari and Andy Dickerson both being on the staff as offensive line coach and run game coordinator working together, a little bit different stylistically, philosophically. They were still bringing in players like Gabe Jackson, who were the bigger body guards that really fit that gap man blocking run game, the power runs, your trap runs, dive runs, duo, those type of schemes. They were bringing in players that fit what Mike Solari wanted. And that was with Andy Dickerson on the staff and with them running Shane Waldron's offense. I still anticipate there's going to be a little bit of a blend with some of the things that were being done with Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel in earlier years. I don't think that Shane Waldron's completely reinventing things for the Seahawks offensively. They're still going to do some of the stuff they've always done. And so for that reason, I don't know they're necessarily going to jump to shift their personnel and start bringing in three or four really athletic, lighten their feet offensive linemen and just try to completely switch things up. I think that's going to be difficult for them to do anyway. But I could see this affecting the types of players they're looking at in the draft that remains to be seen, though. Really, it's anyone's guess. The Seahawks are going to be tight-lipped about that. They're not going to be coming out and saying, well, we're going to start looking for lighter offensive linemen that may be a better fit for the scheme. They're just going to do it in free agency or the draft. And so I am curious to see what that means. There are a number of offensive linemen from the Rams that might be free agents available next month. So that familiarity aspect, they may try to pursue a few of those guys and bring them up to Seattle. But at this point, it's anyone's guess. Andy Dickerson, last year they had success running the football late in the year with a lot of the personnel that was brought in for Mike Solari. So he may not feel like he needs to make big changes there. So I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Gage Anthony tweets, do you think we get Kyle Fuller or Bryce Callahan or a defensive lineman like Akeem Hicks? So this is going back to a topic that my co-host Nick Lee and I talked about a few weeks ago, that depending on the defensive coordinator pick for the Seahawks, they could be able to go after some free agents that played for that coach at other stops. At Donatel, we were looking at the Denver Broncos with the connections that he had with Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan. But interestingly, Sean Desai has coached both of those guys too because they both played in Chicago while he was there. So those remain possibilities. I would still be surprised though, especially with Kyle Fuller, because I think he's going to cost some money to sign. And the Seahawks have such a bad track record when they have tried to bring in older veteran cornerbacks. It just hasn't worked out. Everybody might remember Kerry Williams back in the day and how that blew up in Seattle's face. Not to say that bringing in somebody like Kyle Fuller could buck those trends. He's a pretty darn good corner. Didn't have a great year for Denver last year, but a good track record in Chicago. Maybe Sean Desai pushes the Seahawks to make that move, bring in a guy that he's familiar with. But I'd be surprised if either one of those guys, Bryce Callahan's a little bit older corner, a solid slot, but he's had a lot of injuries in his career. So those two I'm not seeing. Akeem Hicks, on the other hand, I've been pounding the table for a couple of years to go get Akeem Hicks. I would have tried to trade for him before last year. The emergence of Al Woods, how well he played last year, not necessarily looking like that would be a need, but Akeem Hicks can play the big end position at 330 pounds. And this is a guy that is 
put up good sack numbers in his career, consistent pressure as an interior and outside rusher. You can move him up and down the line. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the game. He has had a couple years that have been compromised by injuries recently, and he's now in his mid-30s. I believe he's 32 right now. So you'd have to look at those factors and decide how much you would want to pay him. But this is a guy that is a big-time player, one of the best defensive tackles, one of the best hybrid DT defensive ends that you're going to see in the NFL. I still think he's got plenty left in the tank. So that would be a guy to keep an eye on. And Sean Desai was with him for a number of years in Chicago. There could be a good connection there. So stay tuned. Those are three names certainly to look at, but I think Akeem Hicks makes a lot of sense for what Seattle needs and just the type of disruptive player that he is in the trenches. KC Masterman tweets, could you see the Seahawks bringing in any other coaches or front office staff in the next few weeks? They do still have a few openings. And this is, let's just assume that Scott Desai and Dickerson are all going to be in the positions that are being reported today. I expect these moves are going to happen. I think Desai is out of options for defensive coordinators. So this is the best move for him right now. And Scott, this is a great opportunity for him. He's only been in the NFL for one year. I think both those guys will officially be announced here in the next few days, joining Pete Carroll's staff, along with Clint Hurt being promoted to defensive coordinator. But they still need a quarterback coach. Austin Davis left for Auburn and then uh, like five weeks after getting started, resigned. And so he's not going to be coaching this year, wants to spend more time with his family. And they also need to figure out what they're going to do at the defensive line coaching position. They do have... Damian Lewis, not the same one that is playing guard for them on offense, but has been on the coaching staff the last couple of years, has a pretty good reputation, has done a nice job working under Clint Hurt. He might be a natural coach to just elevate to be your defensive line coach moving forward. They could look at outside coaches as well for that position. I think they could look internally at the quarterback spot as well, but that is an important position, especially with Russell Wilson coming off the season that uh, was not necessarily his best dealing with injury, had some technical issues that he was working through, did finish the season strong. So you want to have a quality quarterback coach that can work with him as well. So those are two positions left as far as big names, assuming those other guys do come as being reported and join the staff. I don't really see any other big moves being made by the Seahawks, but they will add a few more assistance, whether through internal hires or going outside the box, and they'll try to fill that quarterback and defensive line coaching position. Last one here coming from Jason tweets, are you surprised Dick Vermeil is in the Hall of Fame before Mike Holmgren? Is there any hope for Sean Alexander to get to Canton? Good questions, Jason. Starting with the first one here, I'm not surprised that Dick Vermeil got in before Mike Holmgren because I think you got to look beyond the numbers here to understand what Dick Vermeil meant to the NFL. This is a head coach that took over some really bad football teams and was able to quickly transform them into contenders. Yes, Mike Holmgren got to more Super Bowls. Yes, he had a better win percentage. Yes, he won more games as an NFL head coach. But Vermeil did a number of things that really were innovations that helped the league proceed forward. And he did some fantastic jobs turning around some really bad football teams and turning them into quality playoff contenders. And so I understand why he's heading to the hall. I think both of them are worthy. I can understand the arguments if you're using traditional statistics. And I think Mike Holmgren's an outstanding coach and deserves to be in Canton. But 
I don't think this is necessarily him getting slighted with Dick Vermeil getting in before him. Dick Vermeil was an outstanding head coach in his own right. And some of the things that happened beyond the win-loss record and the number of the Super Bowls that he won. I mean, he won a Super Bowl with Kurt Warner, who was bagging groceries not that long before he got to the Rams. So that is one of the best coaching jobs, most unlikely Super Bowl champions ever for that reason. No reason to be upset that he's in the hall. Now, Sean Alexander, that is a topic that I have been arguing about for a long time. I still think that he is incredibly overlooked by the Hall of Fame committee. He has never been a finalist. He's never even been a semifinalist. Alexander has been on the list for a number of seasons, but he never gets past that initial stage. And I just don't get it. I I understand the arguments against him being in Canton because his career was short and after five incredible seasons, he didn't have a regression. He hit a wall like a crash test dummy, and he just suddenly was not good anymore. And it was right after getting a big contract from the Seahawks. Some Seahawks fans still hold a grudge against him for that. He was getting to be an older back that had had a ton of carries under his belt. If anything, you should be upset at the front office for giving the money they did. He had earned that, but you weren't paying for the player that you were going to get in the next couple of seasons. You were paying for what you had had the previous five years. And at running back, that's a dangerous game to play. But you look at those five seasons. He had a rushing title. He won an MVP in 2005. Briefly was the NFL record holder for the most rushing touchdowns in a single season. He was just utterly dominant in those five years. And you can make the argument, oh, yeah, he had a great line in front of him. Walter Jones, Steve Hutchinson, maybe the best left side of an offensive line in NFL history, two Hall of Famers. Obviously, Sean Alexander benefited from that. But I think a lot of people forget how talented Sean Alexander was and his ability to be able to glide through creases. And he was deceptively fast and had the ability to hit home runs, particularly earlier in his career. This is a guy that could take the football and go 60 yards for a touchdown easily. He was an underrated receiver. So I think he belongs. Do I think he gets in at this point? uh, Unless we start looking at a senior committee selection down the road at this point, the fact he can't even get to be a semifinalist, I think it is an absolute long shot that Sean Alexander ever gets in. It's unfortunate. I think he's deserving, but there's a lot of really, really great football players that are not in the hall of fame and, He might be one of them that ends up, unfortunately, just being in the Hall of Great. Coming up next, we've got a big game on Sunday at SoFi Stadium. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams playing for the Lombardi Trophy in Super Bowl 56. Who's going to win? I'll be breaking down the matchup, just sharing some initial thoughts for both teams, who may have advantages and where, and, of course, making my prediction. This time of year, I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, thanks to Built Bar. Have you tried the new Built Bar Puffs? If you haven't, I'm telling you you're missing out. One of the best Built Bars out on the market. It's been my go-to snack before lifting weights or running. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate puffs are a fan favorite some incredible flavors my favorite coconut marshmallow banana cream pie is also delicious they're going to become your new favorites trust me all built bars are covered in 100 real chocolate and that includes puffs low calorie high protein replace your candy bars with these they're better a typical candy bar can have anywhere from two to 300 calories most built bars have just 130 calories 
four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Tons of great flavors to choose from, whether it's coconut, coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, white chocolate cookies and cream this month. They're all delicious, and there's new flavors coming out all the time. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at Built.com for 15% off. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks obviously didn't make the playoffs, so they're not going to be playing this weekend in Super Bowl 56. But this is a very intriguing matchup, and, and I will admit that there have been some Super Bowls in recent memory that I haven't been overly excited about the two teams that are playing against each other. But for whatever reason, this year, the storylines, the contrasting ways that the Bengals and Rams built their rosters, and, and the correlation between their coaching staffs, Sean McVay going up against a former apprentice, Zach Taylor now coaching the Bengals, Again, two teams that just have slightly different styles on both sides of the football. I just think this is going to be a really fun game. And we add in the fact that the Rams, a bitter rival to Seahawks, they're getting to play in the Super Bowl at their home stadium, which just doesn't happen very often. Last year, the Buccaneers got to do it. They won that game over the Kansas City Chiefs. The Rams are hoping that they can make it two years in a row that the winning team was playing on their home field. It's going to be a very fascinating matchup. I think when you look at the advantages and the strengths for these teams, obviously the Rams playing at home, that is a big deal. And they're going to be wearing their road jerseys because the AFC gets to be the home team, but that's not going to matter. They are going to be thrilled to be playing in their home stadium. That undoubtedly is an advantage. Maybe not as much as regular season game when you see the price tag to get into that game, but still they're playing on their home turf. And everybody's been talking about it. Aaron Donald, Sebastian Joseph Days coming back off injured reserve. That's a big addition for the Rams in their defensive line. Leonard Floyd, Von Miller. The Rams have a ferocious defensive line. One of the best defensive lines in football, if not the best. Cincinnati Bengals, their pass protection, woof. It's one of the worst in the NFL. So you may be wondering how have they got to this point? How are the Bengals in the Super Bowl with that bad of an offensive line? Well, they've got a quarterback in Joe Burrow, known as Joe Cool, and he is fun to watch. He gets hit, gets right back up. He's coming off a torn ACL during his rookie season. He was the most hit quarterback in the NFL this year, and he just keeps coming back for more, and he has been so clutch in the postseason. The Bengals have not scored a ton of points in the playoffs necessarily, but they have been able to put points on the board when they've needed them, especially in the second half of games. They've come up clutch, and the big reason why is Joe Burrow. Behind that shaky offensive line, they've got one of the best young leaders in football, and this guy is just tougher than nails. And so that's really the intriguing matchup to me. Joe Burrow against Matthew Stafford, because everybody's going to talk about Aaron Donald, and rightfully so. Aaron Donald is one of the greatest players that has ever played this game maybe the best defensive player in NFL history. When you're looking at sheer dominance, statistically, very few players rival him, especially his position. And you can double team him and he can still destroy game plans. So the Bengals are going to have their hands full when you consider they have to deal with him. And oh, by the way, another future Hall of Famer in Von Miller rushing off the edge. You got to deal with him. Joseph Day coming back. Leonard Floyd's a very solid pass rusher in his own right. I mean, they've got to worry about trying to protect Joe Burrow and trying to be able to move the football against that defensive line is not going to be easy. But 
the weapons that the Bengals have, Jamar Chase, an incredible rookie, the rookie of the year, easy selection for that one. T. Higgins is emerging as a star as their number two receiver. They've got an excellent number three in Tyler Boyd. I think C.J. Uzama is going to be available for this game. I don't know if he's going to be anywhere close to 100%, but they're hoping they're going to have their tight end. Joe Mixon at running back. This is a team that is loaded with weapons at the skill positions. And I think there's one area that they can exploit the Rams. That's the middle of their defense, their linebackers. That, to me, is the one weak spot. That intermediate passing game, sprinkling in some screens as well. The Bengals are a very good screen-running offense. That gives them a fighting chance. Maybe you can slow down the Rams' pass rushers a little bit, mixing in some screens, getting the football out of Joe Burrow's hands quickly. That might create some opportunities to get the ball downfield a few times in this game as well. And the Bengals have been really good in the playoffs about mixing in those quick passes. And that's how they've been able to make up for that offensive line. So they might be able to mitigate what the Rams can do with that front four simply by using that quick strike passing game that they've been so efficient and so effective with. And I think maybe the the one thing that isn't being talked about enough going into this game There's been plenty of discussion about Joe Burrow, his remarkable accomplishment, Matthew Stafford, all those years where he was toiling in Detroit. First year in L.A., he's in the Super Bowl, which is an exciting story. And, of course, the pass rushers for the Rams. The Bengals have a pretty darn good defense, and I don't think enough people are talking about them. I mean, they just went in and beat the Tennessee Titans, who had Derrick Henry back. They had their top receivers back. They went in and upset them, and then – Patrick Mahomes races out to a 21-3 lead, and they come back and win the game in large part because the defense was phenomenal in the second half. They got an interception to open overtime. Cincinnati goes down, kicks the field goal. They're moving on to the Super Bowl for the first time since the late 80s. It was just, it's been a phenomenal postseason for the Bengals defense. And I don't know that they necessarily have a superstar on that side of the football, but they have very few weaknesses on their defense. This is not a unit where you look at them from front to back and you're like, there's the rat that I need to pick on. You're going to have a hard time finding that player because they have a lot of depth. They have a lot of really good players. If you're going to look from a superstar standpoint, maybe Trey Hendrickson fits that mold, 14 sacks this year. Outstanding addition for them as a pass rusher. Sam Hubbard at the other pass rushing spot at defensive end has had a really good year, has been great in the playoffs. So, yeah, deal with those two guys rushing off the edge. DJ Reader in the middle is a mountain to move. They've got some solid linebackers. Their corners, Hilton is one of the better slot corners in the league. Shadobe Awuzie, great free agent addition for them that's really come into his own in Cincinnati after kind of up and down seasons in Dallas. And their safeties, Jesse Bates is fantastic. Going to be one of the most sought-after free agents if the Bengals let him hit free agency. I think they'd be idiots not to or to not resign him, but there's a chance he could be available, I guess. But he is one of the better safeties in the league, an underrated safety. Von Bell, the other safety, is the one that picked off the pass against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, and he's a very good player. So they've got a lot of talent at all three levels of the defense. This is going to be a game where I think there's a lot of points but it isn't necessarily going to be because both offenses are just flying up and down the field. I think there's going to be some turnovers. I think there might be some defensive points that are going to be scored in this game. And that is ultimately going to be the deciding factor. And I look at Aaron Donald, that front line for the Rams playing at home on the, on the home field in the Super Bowl, And I'm just like, you can't pick against them. But then on the other side, you look at the Bengals, 
this is a team of destiny. They just upset the top two teams in a loaded AFC. Joe Burrow is unflappable. They've got a quiet confidence about them. Sometimes not so quiet confidence. They got some really darn good football players on both sides of the ball. They're motivated. They believe in themselves. I can't vote against Joe Burrow for this one. So for that reason, I think it's going to be a barn burger. I think it's going to be an exciting game. I'm going Bengals 33, Rams 30. Evan McPherson, he's going to walk on in the field and say, I don't know what he's going to say this time, actually. You know, maybe we're going to Disney World because there's no game after this. He's he's guaranteed they were going to go to the AFC Championship game previously. He's going to walk onto the field and say, hey, we're going to Disney World, kick the game-winning field goal, and they are going to upset the Rams, get the so get the Lombardi Trophy at SoFi Stadium. Uh, I just think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. Again, a lot of Super Bowls I haven't been so excited about, but this is one that I think this is a very compelling matchup with some contrasting styles, two teams that do things a little bit differently. They built their rosters differently, kind of a David and Goliath type feel, and that always makes a championship game that much more fun. Hopefully everybody's going to enjoy it. I'm looking forward to this game, one of the better Super Bowl matchups. Hopefully it lives up to the hype, and this ends up being a game that goes down to the wire and becomes an instant classic. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast and making it your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen to Locked On Bets podcast, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and, of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Rob Rang will be rejoining me next Monday. The two of us will share some quick thoughts on what we saw on Super Bowl Sunday. Going to dive deeper into the Seahawks coaching changes with Sean Desai coming on board as well as Carl Scott and Andy Dickerson taking over as the offensive line coach. And we'll be continuing our position-by-position review with tight ends. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the big game on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.